what happens when you walk into a mess? I think we've all had that experience. The board, the CEO, your hiring manager, the executive of your division paints a pretty rosy picture on what your job is and how you're going to build, grow, etc. a business. And then you walk in and everything is just, well, it's just shit. I think we've had that experience time and again. And you can look at it and say, I just want to clean up the mess. But our guest today says the problem actually runs much deeper and it's more nuanced than just attacking that single problem. So let's talk about it today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I am excited to have good friend Kate jump on today. Kate was with organizations like George Lucas Education, uh, the Tides Foundation, and now she is at International Media, and she knows what it's like to walk into an organization that has problems. Even during the interview process, you weren't aware of them. And she thinks about it in a way that is more than just tackling that one thing. It's really thinking about how you're going to go in and handle the entire organization, the mindset, the culture, the people that caused that problem in the first place, because many of them are still there. So if you've ever walked into a mess, if you've ever walked into something that wasn't as perfect and it's stopping you from doing the thing you were brought in to do, this is the podcast for you. Let's take it away, Kate. Kate, let's start this off like we always do. Who the heck are you and why are you here? I am Kate Byrne, and I am the president of Intentional Media. And Intentional was put together over the last year, and we are a platform of brands that's devoted to money, meaning, and purpose. So we've got four key brands that have been uh, in the social impact place, in the impact investing place, in the conscious business place, and then advocacy around getting more women and gender equity and racial equity in uh, leadership positions. So all fabulous for great products. And do you want me to share a little bit about what I did before? Yeah, do that. Because I think you had some experiences with other brands, other organizations that will play into some of the conversation you're having. So yeah, let's go. Let's go a little deeper. Indeed. indeed. So I got my start in advertising and then um, moved over and have held senior positions at Inc., uh, at Business Week was the publisher of Fast Company back in the day. The Industry Standard, which those of you who have been mm-hmm. in the Valley will remember that one. Uh, however, you remember that one. Mm. And then um, I remember that one. Yeah, we all do. And then have spent some time also in the foundation space. So was uh, fortunate to work in Tides um, with George Lucas. And then most recently was over at Watermark, which was focusing a lot on women's leadership and development. So when the folks at Intentional came to me and said, hey, would you like to help lead this as we grow and take it global? If you listen to that, it literally lines up with each of my jobs. So it it was, I was definitely, I always say I was millennial before it was a thing. Hmm. And so I um, had all those different dots, and this is the job, I think, where all those dots come together. Personally, um, I am happily married, live up in Marin. My husband, John, was um, editor-in-chief of Fast Company. Yes, that's where we met. And um, Oh, office romance. Yes. 
And then um, I've got two fabulous daughters um, and then three fabulous step older kids and five bonus grandkids and have a very rich and full life. So this, this job though is literally, as I had told everybody, I mean, it really was the job that I've been waiting for. So I entered in extremely excited. Uh, definitely had a little bit of the shiny, as you said, the kitchen was sparkling clean. The people are fabulous. I've never met a group, um, not to get too juju, but I am fourth generation Californian. So I got to be what I got to be. Uh, I literally felt as though we had all, we were all meant to be and converge at this moment and work together. Um, it makes such a difference, Todd, when you are working with people with whom you either share values, they have impeccable truth and integrity, and you can just count on them um, and each other. So you can imagine to that point when I opened up, dun, 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 the drawer. And only to realize and recognize, wow, <laughs> there's been a whole lot of optimism and a lot of talking about potential and a lot of add a pearl, random business ideas. And you just ended up either having, you know, that messy kitchen drawer, that horrific knot of necklaces and jewelry that you cannot tell her. And the worst thing about that darn drawer, guess what? There's another little secret compartment behind it. And it literally, every time I opened up, it's like, okay. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's been interesting. I have now, today will be my 90th day. Okay. And I will say that I do not color my hair. I will probably be able to say that maybe for the next month. Because this job may drive me to it. But I say it in a good and a really great and a loving way. Um, as difficult it is, I know that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. But it is, it is as you had said, a lot of my experiences in those previous jobs um, have completely prepared me <laughs> um, for what for what we're doing and what we're building today. Well, let's, let's get into that because I think this is a thing that's – I've heard this from a few people that have come on where their prior experiences, especially as you get to a certain age or place in your career where you feel like you've become a domain expert in something, you've become known for some some criteria, or there's a series of things that allow you to <clears throat> come in and take a role that seems like it's just tailor-made for you. And that's so fantastic. And it's so rare at the earlier stages of our career, but it definitely happens more and more as we, as we you know, become more veteran in our careers. But what also happens too is high expectations, right? You're the perfect person. You're the perfect candidate. Okay, now come on board. And it does. Everything looks great. During the interview process, they never show you the kitchen drawer, right? They, in fact, they might not even know the kitchen drawer exists. Exactly. And so your job to come in and say, great, I'm going to do my 90 days. I'm going to figure things out. I'm going to go start investigating. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to learn people. I'm going to become part of the culture. Okay, great. So I think there's not a person that's listening to this that hasn't had that experience. I know every single one of us has, and you do have that oh shit moment where you finally figure out this is a red hot mess. <laughs> okay. So yeah. now, and and for a mess, right, just so we're clear for everybody, because I think this can be personified in different ways, this can be personnel, 
this can be technology and processes. This can be, uh, this could be infrastructure. This can be, you know, literal wiring. Uh, this could be the diversity and inclusion issue. This could be a person or, or, uh, politics. There's a whole bunch of things that go into that drawer. And sometimes it's a little bit of a mix of everything, which those are so much fun. Okay. So you're, you're there for 90 days, but this is not the first time you've had this experience. This is your first rodeo for untangling that, 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 uh, you know, kitchen cabinet or kitchen drawer. All right. So let's start talking about this a little bit. I think, you know, one of the things we can do is let's talk a little bit about, you know, roles, people, let's get into the HR side of things. When you walk into that and you start to see this sort of HR mess as a leader, how are you tackling that? What are the things you're starting to look at? Well, one of the things I've begun to do is <clears throat> I have obviously, because they never did this, I had one, I've had one-on-ones. I have four um, terrific female, the team is all female, which is also interesting in terms of the leadership team. Each of each brand is led by a f- young female CEO. So from a mentorship standpoint, it's fantastic. And I love that. Each has their own challenge. And each also have, brings a very special gift, but they're all young and they've all been given this, this title of CEO. Mm-hmm. So along with that, there is a certain level of, uh, on their own end, expectation of what they should and shouldn't have to do, which is amazing to me because here I am the president of all of it and I don't share any of that <laughs> thought. So I guess that shows... I've been down, as you said, not my first rodeo, so I've obviously experienced this a bit. But it's literally sitting down and t- um, getting to know each of them to the best of my degree and figuring out, okay, so how are they wired? That's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, taking a look at doing the all-team meeting, which we do once a month and making sure I mean, that we have those, but that not only the senior-level leadership team speaks, but actually we're a group of 17 people. So what I now do is I have staff talk, which it seems like a simple thing, duh, but it's amazing. It never would have entered their heads to do it that way. So that you build out the entire culture from the bottom up, um, went ahead and had one-on-ones with each of the team members to talk about and get a sense of, you know, what drives them, what do they think is working? What do they think we do that we shouldn't do? That's always a key one for me. Because in a situation like ours, there's tremendous overwhelm. And so I have no doubt that everyone's working a lot, but are you working on the right things, right? Are we working smartly instead Hmm. of a bunch of busy work? So standing back, taking a step back and taking a look at that and thinking, okay. Um, And right now we're in the conversation of siphoning through the drawer together, you know, okay. before this, there was a point where we didn't have transparency. Um, it was um, the owners to their, in their thinking was, okay, you know, the CEOs are already so overwhelmed. We don't want to put, you know, all of this additional information and insight. And are they ready to see, you know, this degree of financials, et cetera, et cetera. So literally it's birthing this little baby business And as I've said it, you know, we've gone from four disparate little brands and now we're in that awkward adolescence where we're kind of molding together. So we have separation, but not silos. 
if that makes sense. It does, yeah. And there's a ton of in, interdependence. And, and um, I was just reading, just talking to my daughter last night. And, you know, she's watched a lot of the conversations that I've had. This is my 20-year-old who goes to Wash U in St. Louis. And she said, oh, my gosh, Mom, it's reminding me of, um, I think it's Lesioni's five levels of um, five levels of dysfunctional leadership or team, dysfunctional team. Okay. And it's talking about at how level one is trust, lack of trust. Then there's lack of commitment. Then there's <clears throat> lack of accountability. Then there's... Um, God, it's lack of uh, results, you know, rigor to results. I forget what the fourth one is. Um, but it's literally rebuilding from yeah. the start the trust. And the trust piece is taking the time to sit there and talk to people and hear them out. And you may not end up doing everything that they say, right? But at least they've had input. Yeah. And, well, and I, I think that's one of the things, too, that we we hear this a lot with uh, new leaders that come in and the, the one that I, I heard this the other day, it's, it's thinking about making incremental change. Correct. Right. So you come in and instead of coming in and saying, okay, chest thumping, here's my thing. Here's my process. Now we're going to go do this because this worked at the last three companies that I was at. Correct. It's coming in and making people feel like they've got stake in the game listening to them, hearing them. Again, you may end up going back to your original playbook, but people feel like they're a part of it. Exactly. And then you're going in and making changes that people can adopt and change with. Right. Well, and I'll tell you, um, one of the biggest ways I think, oddly, that I ended up building trust right out the gate was, I. Uh, it was literally day four. I had been hmm, a little bit because I was trying to probably support my, my boss, the CEO. And there was a suggestion. I was introduced to a person and I thought, gosh, we have these three issues. This person would work. Let's just, why don't we go ahead and just hire this person? And instead of going through running the person through the regular process, I just said, great. I then had to go and explain this the next Monday to each of the CEOs and then had to admit I had done this. I was not following regular protocol. I apologize, but everybody just has to trust me. So they did to my, my credit and theirs. Everybody was yeah. getting. Then guess what happened? Turned out to be after I had done it, after I'd hired this person, I thought in my gut, oh man, this was a mistake. I should not have done this. So literally Todd, two weeks later, I fired the person. Wow. And what had happened was something had come up. Um, there was certain behaviors the CEOs have also witnessed. And so they reached out to me. I had been not there when things happened. And I had been compiling my own situations. And they talked to me and I said, yep, this is what I have to do. And they were stunned that I just, without minutes hesitation, like, yep, this is what we got to do. And then three days later, did it. And I think... I admitted it. I had my accountability. I said, wow, that was a misstep. And that was, a, you know, I apologize, but I also own it. And thanks, everybody, for going through that. Thanks for being honest with me, giving me your feedback. All right, let's go. And from that point on, I definitely felt as though arms began to be linked. Yeah. Because, right, as a leader, we have to kind of embody the decision. And everybody's human, too. You're going to take some missteps. But as long as you own it, I think people... 
people at least, you know, my feeling has always been, and this is something we're dealing with right now too, is we're tr- trying to figure out um, what's this next phase of the company look like, what products stay, what don't, perhaps what people stay, who doesn't, is that, you know, if you, people just want to know the truth and they may not like it and that's okay. But that, at least if you give them the truth, they can respond as opposed to react. Yeah. It gives them time to come to the, along to the point, since I just had a conversation with my one CEO who had birthed her specific company. And she came to me last night and just said, oh my God, Kate, we may just have to shut this whole thing down. I don't want to do that. But I needed her to get to that point where she could be own at least control a bit of that. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Well, I think one of the things you're, you're hitting on is so that again, they're, they're buzzy words, right? But transparency and accountability where if a leader can make a mistake and then come in and own that, I think it sends a really strong, clear message to the teams that they can take risks and they can make mistakes. Exactly. Because one of the things that I've seen is, you know, in your circumstance, someone could have come in and said, well, you know what? I'm not going to lose face on this. I'm going to double down and make this person work instead of just going, no, you know what? That was a misfire. My, my bad, especially new right. in the organization, right? You don't want to have those first couple of steps be wrong. But you did the right thing by coming in and saying, all right, I'm going to have some accountability here. You made this hard decision. You did it. You moved forward. But you also gained a lot of credibility. You set a clear signal into the organization. That's hard to do. It's easier to just say, all right, you know what? You guys are crazy. This person's fine. They're going to be great. Don't worry. It's early stage. And then six months down the road, you're firing that person. And then you look like a total heel. It will, exactly. And you've sucked the company dry. And especially at this phase of so, so many rich resources, right? And it's a time suck. And it also then, I think, sends a message about just sort of prioritization. But to your point, the, um, the correlation between taking a risk or making a mistake and seeing it as a learning is completely aligned with um, trying new things and innovation. And that's, yeah. uh, or, or looking at doing things a different way or reordering things or, oh my gosh, we've, we've always done this. You know what? I think this particular product has run its course. We need to cut it. Um, you know, one yeah. of our products, actually, we still believe it or not have a magazine, but it only comes out, you know, quarterly. And I got to tell you, while it's a beautiful magazine and you, I clearly, I love, I come, that's from where I hail. Mm-hmm. It is just probably not smart for us right now at all until we can bring it back. But right now it's just too much of a resource suck. And while we're saying it's a marketing tool, you know, we, we have 10,000 copies. So yeah. really, is it really? No. There's a lot of things in that kitchen drawer that are labeled, we've always done it this way. So, Correct. Um, and in fact, I think most of those, if you see it's labeled, we've always done it this way and it's in the drawer, you probably should get rid of it. Right. Those are the first ones. Exactly. It's like those clothes in the, in the closet. Well, I forgot I had that. And then yeah. <laughs> that's it. You never go back to it. Yeah. One of the things I love about C-Suite Radio is, well... 
the sponsors. If the sponsors weren't here, we wouldn't have the platform to build, grow, and engage with you as we get to do. So I'd love you to take a quick listen and listen to what our sponsor has to say today. Thank you for that brief interlude. And now let's go back to our interview with Kate. So, um, okay. So one of the things I want to sort of uh, pivot to a little bit is this idea of, especially when you're in, you're in an organization and you feel like you've hit these inflection points where you're sort of stuck. Because what I think this will naturally lead into, and it'll tie back into the, the kitchen cabinet thing is this idea of diversity and inclusion and talent and how you bring talent on. But before we get to that stage, I want to go through this idea of, you know, you, you come into an organization, you've got limiting returns, you feel like you're at this inflection point where, okay, this is as far as we, we can go. And now we have to make some grand steps going forward. The conversation I had a couple of days ago was on, you know, scarcity and abundance, right? And this idea of if you're in a scarcity mindset, then you try and tighten everything down. It's about risk aversion. It's about control. It's about cost control. It's about what can you do to squeeze a little more juice out of the lemon. If you're in an abundance mindset, it's about, hey, the, the world is a cornucopia of wonderful stuff and let's go find it and let's go make something happen. Yeah. And then there's, there's variations and I think we slide around in between based on who we are, where we are and at what time in our lives. But this idea that you're sort of stuck as an organization and you've got people that are saying, well, let's, let's hold back, let's tighten up. And you've got other people that are like, no, let's be bold and let's go move forward, right? Um, so how do you handle that when you walk into that circumstance and that situation? What are the steps or the mental models you do of like, okay, how do I unpack this and move this thing forward? Right. So one of the things I think first and foremost, and you know, I used to roll my eyes all the time when people would go through, what's our mission? What's our vision? Seriously, <laughs> what I've come to realize, and I've really realized it in this position, um, is that if you're really clear on what the overarching uber goal that you're going towards is, like what your purpose is and what you're trying to make happen. So in our case, it's literally transforming the economy so that all can thrive and that people know how to intentionally consume, invest, run their businesses and their lives for good. So it's literally building this world, this economy from an abundance mindset, right? We're all okay. can thrive. So that being the case, if I know that, I can then take a step back and say, okay, so of these products, what actually helps do that? It, does it play back to that? And if it doesn't, it makes it a lot easier to have the courage to cut it. Or how can I, it, it did at one point, but the market has changed. So now... What do, we, what do we need to do to make sure that we stay out a step ahead? Um, one of the things that's interesting about each of my brands is they've all been pioneers in their respective space. So that's terrific. They've got street cred. But now the markets yeah. are getting much more crowded, right? And so traditionals and as, as things like impact investing and conscious business or purpose-driven gets more you know, commonplace, now what's happening is you've got Traditional brands, be it a company like an investing firm, like a Morgan Stanley, that sort of thing, or a media brand like Forbes, who all of a sudden is realizing, oh my gosh, we need to cover this off. They have much deeper pockets. 
So our role then, I believe, needs to be, we need to continue to be that pioneer, right? And we need to keep forging and trying new things. And so, you know, making sure that our core business is solid, but that we're always each year, to your point, doing a little incremental something interesting and new and kind of playing with it in a sandbox. So for instance, I'm, you know this from my days at Watermark, I was really, I'm very bullish on VR and AI and a way that we can use that to help people literally um, feel and envision what could be. And I think it's a terrific tool to take people who, you know, move the agnostic up to the curious level, hmm. the curious up to the converted level. Because for a lot of people, especially in this visual and digital age where people are much more likely, they need to sort of see it to believe it. This is a way to do that. So I'm taking a look at how can we incorporate that kind of technology and make it so that the vast, it's, it's a, actually becomes frankly a, um, a reach and a, and a scale, scale capability for us. And then go back and share it with people. The other thing I'm doing is we totally can't do this on our own. Your earlier point, yeah. you come in new and you're like, oh my God, it's all on my shoulders. What I've recognized and seen now is two things. One, I'm reaching out to partners um, and saying, okay, hey, you do research. I do this media platform stuff. Let's go in together. And together, we can go in and try and rise, raise, you know, this, do this whole $10 million movement about the next 50 years of business. That's really cool. And it's broader based. It helps them. It helps us. But more importantly, it helps build that impact and inclusive economy. The other thing I've begun to do is reach out and literally build my own little personal board of directors. Yeah. Right. So going out and all ages, all shapes, all sizes, all colors, all everything and saying, Hey, I need to get really smart on this or. And why have I not gotten the invite for that? You are by my appearing here, my friend, mm, and everyone okay. listen to this invite right now. <laughs> You're here to witness Todd's coming, becoming a board member of mine. <laughs> but no, seriously, I, I plan to have many a conversation because we don't have a marketing hmm. person. So we're in the process of figuring out how, how to do that. Um, but that's because I'm realizing it doesn't have to be just, just you. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're going to hear opinions. I mean, I think that's another challenge with anyone in a senior level position. You can, on the one hand, you want to get insights from others, but oftentimes you already know in your gut what you kind of have to do. And a lot of times what it is, is you just have to wait for your heart. Well, I guess it's for your heart to catch up with your mind and sometimes the opposite. Yeah. Right. And so the more times you ask people questions, Right. Sometimes the more confusing it can get. Well, I think the thing that you're hitting on here is this idea that um, that you're looking for some group of outside voices, external perspectives. You know, the, the thing for marketers that I hear all the time is cobbler's kids have no shoes, right? Mm-hmm. That we can do for others, we can't do for ourselves. And And I think great leaders realize that the lack of objectivity is a detriment for them Absolutely. And at times it's really interesting. You know, there's the, that old, I could have had a V8 thing where you smack yourself on the head, right? right? I, I think there's these times where you'll be talking to somebody that's part of your informal board 
and they'll say something and you just smack yourself in the head and you're like, why did I not see that? Or think right. that it's so simple and so obvious and it's the easiest, best course of action. And the reason is, is because you can't see it in yourself. You know, the, the answers are oftentimes really clear, really easy and really straightforward. The reason we make things convoluted is because we can't see that easier path because we don't have the objectivity. So the objectivity comes from having this great board of people who support you, will walk through fire, but will also call you on your stuff. That's really key. Yeah. And your Um, blind spots. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. What what just came to me when you were saying that is, you know, I think the – I think part of the reason why we also overcomplicate things is when all of a sudden, to your point earlier, whereby you're coming in and you're going to be the one who's the fixer, the saver. One, I'm a psych major, so your hero syndrome, right, comes alive. It's like, oh my gosh, it's got to be this really convoluted expertise that only I can come up with. And then you look at it and you think, well, this is dumb. We should just do this. Yeah. And, and, it can be that simple and it's okay for it to be simple as opposed to this complex over angst ridden hand wringing multiple meeting kind consulting series of, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's a thing. There's so much blah, blah, blah. Not a lot of da, 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 not a lot of action being done. Right. There's just a whole lot of chit chat, multi-syllabic jargon tossing. It's too bad people can't see the video of you doing the blah, 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 da, da, da dance. That's right. It's a dance. It's a meme, my friend. It it's is. a meme. I might, have to, I might have to put that out there yeah. just for that. Yeah. So, you know, I think you're on to something here that uh, as you start to get to these inflection points, as you come into new organizations, as you start to unpack that kitchen sink or the kitchen cabinet, as you get into all of those places, this idea of having a board, a group of people around you that can um, move and motivate you, call you on your stuff, identify your blind spots, and can also help give you that third-party perspective that you're so clearly lacking. I think one of the things that I've heard that's been, that's been interesting is uh, as people move in their careers, I think there's this belief that well, yeah, but I've got a 20-year career. I, I know this. Or I've got a 15-year career. I've got a 25-year career. I've been doing this forever. I've been a marketer for these number of years. I've been a five-time CEO. And I think you need those perspectives even more because you become entrenched and attracted in your point of view and your, and your belief systems, and you need people to be able to pull you out and have you think differently. Well, and not get calcified, yes. right? And that's what I think is so easy. The minute, and I have always said this, the minute, you know, people, you start believing your own press releases, please throw an ice bucket on me because then it's done. Because the minute I stop becoming curious and recognizing, I know what I know up to this point, knowing what I know, but there's, that's why whenever I think I have a fabulous idea, I always run it by my daughters. And they are very honest about, oh my God, no, that is the stupidest that mom don't even. And it's very good and humbling. But what I was going to say too is, I think the truly good leaders and the reason why I love having this board of directors is it continues, you're very vulnerable. 
when you do that, right? When you really yeah. embrace it and you have this group. And I think that vulnerability keeps you very open. It keeps you very lifetime learning, curious, open to discovery. I think it helps you realize uh, this too shall pass when you're in a, when you're in a tricky spot, you know, yeah. it gives you that opportunity to realize, Oh, wait a second. I've, I've, I've been through something similar and it's not going to be forever. It can give you some perspective. And the other thing is not having to solve everything so fast. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. And um, I know my, one of my life lessons here is patience. So I have um, really learned how to stop pause. And as I said, when I was doing my app rollout at future years ago, and thank God I did it the way I did it because it ended up winning awards was I never needed, I didn't want to be, you know, at that point, first to market, I wanted to be smart to market. And especially when you're, you're trying some of these new things, um, I'd rather they're going to be, which I know flies in the face of being a pioneer, but it's a, I guess it's an educated risk or a smart pioneer. <laughs> you know, know when you're on terrain where you're like, yeah, I pretty much have this versus, okay, let's jump the mountain. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, I, I want to end here because the time will run out here pretty quickly, but with your background and your expertise, especially what you're doing now and where you've sort of um, um, grown up in the, in the marketplace, it would be remiss of me to not talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion and make sure that we're weaving a little of this in and it, and it ties in. It's not like an add on. It ties into everything we've been talking about in terms of walking into organizations and seeing the mess that's there, getting to this place where you feel like you're getting limiting returns and you have to move the needle up to this major inflection point, bringing a group of advisors on to help steer, guide and direct you. And, you know, the thing that's interesting with diversity and inclusion, we talked a little about this a little bit in prep. I, I think a lot of people still have this mindset of, okay, diversity and inclusion is, you know, I probably need to bring some more women on. Uh, I probably need to bring some more people of color on. But, you know, it's interesting because one, uh, one of the leaders that I talked to, and someone who knows this really well, he was like, you know, diversity and inclusion needs to include white people as well. Mm-hmm. It needs to include, you know, people that are the, the, the gray hairs, right? We need to include yep. people of all ages. And so it's, it's incumbent on us to think of this as, as, yes, we want to level the playing field. And those are two very underserved groups that we mentioned at the beginning. But if it, we're really talking about diversity and inclusion, we're talking about having a true mix of people across the board. And what does that look like? And it can get messy. So, uh, you know, Kate, take it away. Like, I'd love to hear your thoughts here. Yeah. So it's kind of, and it's interesting because really what a lot of it goes down to is, and the reason why you want all those different people in different packages and different ages and different everything is the diversity of thought. Yeah. Because that's really the greatest diversity, I think, of all. And I think you, one can run the risk um, of, uh, well, let me take a step back. One thing, when people are talking about diversity, often they are saying more women. And I'm just going to call it out. Um, it usually, frankly, means more white women. Yeah. Uh, more often than not, that's one of the things that comes up a lot. And I think the thing that has been shocking to me, too, is how horrible women are to each other. So, ladies, I'm just saying, we got to stop doing that. 
because there's a lot of finger pointing. Um, and I think we all, I think we need to start treating each other better too. So when someone's getting success, make sure that you laud them for that. Um, but back to the diversity and inclusion piece, you know, it is something that I'm balancing right now because you also have certain skill sets uh, that you need and you've got timetables. If you're in a dire situation and you need someone who can come in really quickly to fix it, unfortunately, sometimes some of the groups that we've spoken about have, you know, and you've got limited funds, there's a premium attached. So you have to balance that. So then you have to take a look at, okay, so on my team or in the roles and functions that I have, where you know, where, where do I need and where can I um, match some of these different backgrounds where they're going to make the greatest impact on the company overall. And so that's one of the things, you know, I think you have to take the time there to look for them. Um, but then I think to your point with the older set, there are a few spots where it is important to hold somebody who's got the gray matter, who's got the war wounds, who's been down the path. What I've also discovered is many of them don't necessarily even want a full-time job. A lot of times they are willing to do project work. Yeah. So being willing to take a look at, you know, some of these positions that I think, do I need a full-time person or can I have a project person? And then by that way, can I support some of these different groups. Nice. Okay. Well, look, we're, um, we're running out of time. So I want to do a couple things. I'm going to wrap up here and then I'm going to give you the opportunity for some closing thoughts. So while I'm talking, you can be thinking, love this multitasking. So here we go. We had a great opportunity to sit down and talk about, so what happens when you walk into that perfect job, that perfect role, that perfect place, it looks like it's a show home. Everything is gleaming and nice and clean. And then you open up that drawer and go, oh, and realize that there's a whole bunch of stuff that you need to fix and to start to take care of. And Kate gave great insights and views on building trust and transparency, being honest, being accountable as a leader, and coming in and helping to make decisions and then listening to people so that you can make incremental change. And I loved her views on that. We talked a little bit about what happens when you get to an inflection point and you feel like your organization is stuck and how you go in and sort of unlock, unpack that. And that led us into a natural conversation around getting a board of advisors, board of directors, people around you that can give you that third-party perspective, help you go and grow and continue to evolve you as a person and can also call you on some of your stuff. And then the last one, we talked about diversity and inclusion Thinking about it holistically, not just thinking about it in, on a one-dimensional level. What does that really look like and how do you go and approach it? And Kate has a rich, long history there that we could explore for hours on another podcast and maybe we'll bring her back to do it. So, Kate, hopefully I did that justice. And what are your closing thoughts? I got the thumbs up from her, so I think I'm doing well. <laughs> what are your closing thoughts? What's, what can we leave people with? So, one is when you find yourself in this lovely position... Uh, it is, if you attack it as an, it's happening for you, not to you, it's a fabulous opportunity for you to learn what you've mastered hmm. and what needs work. And for those places of what needs work, hello, you're human. The best thing you could teach your team is the um, ability to ask for help, it makes it safe for them to do it. And then finally, with the diversity and inclusion, one thing I did want to just finish with, 
Diversity is what gets people in the door. Inclusion is what gets them to stay. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you've got all the, you know, check boxes marked, if you're not listening to people and it's not a safe place for people to do everything we just talked about during this talk, right. Falling, misstepping, that sort of thing. Yeah. You could have as many different faces and shapes and sizes and they're all going to leave. So just make sure that at the end of the day, Listening. Listening is honestly being impeccable with your listening and impeccable with your word. Do what you say you're going to do. And you will slowly, step by step, doesn't have to be finished right away. Got a few weeks, clean out that drawer. Nice. And you'll get there. Yeah, that that closing thought is so spot on. Um, And I I love that idea of inclusion because you can draw people in but keeping them there. And uh, we've heard from a few, quite a few of our guests where they've talked about, we get people in, but then the churn is so high because they realize they're the only person they're on the front lines. They're not yep. being supported. Yep. Um, it's a semi hostile or hostile work environment and they, they jettison, they leave. So having someone like you that, that uh, lives their values, again, it sounds super cliche, but lives their values what comes in and actually says what they're going to do. Like, and then lastly, I, I think it goes back to the thing you said earlier of being really transparent and accountable. You brought somebody in, it didn't work. You owned it. You took responsibility for it. And that sends a really clear message throughout the organization. And so being a leader is being aware that you have to take those kind of responsibilities and those accountabilities because it does impact not only the group and the decision for that person, but it also gives people a sense of feeling um, empowered and engaged and helps with the inclusion within the organization. So small steps have big ripple effects. Well done, Kate. Congratulations on the new role. Super excited for you. We're going to be rooting for you um, in the cheap seats as you go through your journey. And thank you for hopping on the podcast today. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was fun. All right. Love Kate, love her point of view, love her style, love the way she presents it. And I love the fact that she thinks about this holistically and not just this one little thing. You know, she sees it as a way for herself to evolve in these types of circumstances. And she even says, it's interesting to watch yourself evolve. You can sort of watch yourself learn and grow when you're put into these situations. She also has this great point of view of, I think a lot of executives, especially newer ones, feel like they have to do it all themselves, that they were brought in to be sort of the savior of the organization. And she looks at it and says that this is a collaborative effort. You don't have to do it alone. You can do it with the other executives. You can bring in partners. You can bring in advisors. You can bring in the people in your network outside to come in and help you do this. This isn't just something you have to manage on your own. Look, we've all walked into these circumstances. They're all challenging. They're all difficult. You're dealing with people that put them in place. You're dealing with culture. You're dealing with inertia. And you have to find a way to try and break that cycle. And Kate has a really great way of looking at that. If you'd like to follow her, well, you can find her at ConsciousCompanyMedia.com and look for her name. She's also at Intentional.co slash social. So, Kate, pretty easy to find. We'll put the links on the website, but strongly suggest you follow her and see what she's up to. She's got a great point of view. We are slowly 
closer and closer to the end of the year and the final couple of podcasts are on the horizon. We'll then do a big wrap up and we'll relaunch some new and exciting uh, stories to tell in 2020, but I'll keep that on hold for now. If you are interested and these types of stories are great for you and they help you along the way, strongly suggest you buy the book Beyond Product. That's Beyond Product. We have it available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local bookstores, but definitely check it out as we help founders, entrepreneurs, progressive leaders find a way to take their company through five distinct stages, build, grow, and go. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.